You're probably already familiar with Vogue. You know, the publication that has given audiences an exclusive inside look at fashion and cultural moments for more than 100 years. You can expect no less from Vogue's podcast, The Run-Through with Vogue. Meet the influential people behind the scenes of fashion's greatest moments, from designers and creative directors to Vogue editors and the woman behind the infamous Vogue closet. Get inspired while listening to the creative processes of people like author Zadie Smith, fashion designer Tori Birch, and uh, recent star of the Super Bowl, Usher. Go beyond the pages of Vogue with The Run-Through, available wherever you get your podcasts. Just watch me love myself That's all I want Got what I want That's all I want I'm not sorry I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about delicious eggy strata. I didn't know that Everett was allergic to mushrooms, Claire. I didn't know! That's right, friends. Today we are discussing the 2005 holiday cult classic, The Family Stone, a movie that really is just about strata. I think it's the star of the movie. Honestly, yes. That is the enduring character that I remembered after years of not seeing this (laughs) film. And here to discuss it with us is friend of the pod and host of Normal Gossip, Kelsey McKinney. Kelsey, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It is a joy to be here um, discussing everyone's favorite Christmas movie to complain about that brings me nothing but Christmas cheer. Hello, Emma and Claire. It's such a treat to have you here. And, you know, you did pick this movie, so we're excited to get into to why. But first, we wanted to give a quick reminder that we're doing some fun holiday-themed podcasts also over on Substack at claireandemma.substack.com. This week, we will be talking through unpacking the Netflix holiday film Best Christmas Ever, starring <gasps> Brandy and Heather Graham. And I did pause for a while there because I couldn't remember who the other person was, <laughs> which that gives you a sense of the quality of this movie. <laughs> Really, honestly, um, we had so much fun talking about Best Christmas Ever, one of the most deranged holiday movies of our time. And so you can you can find that <laughs> over at Substack on Rich Text, Claranemma.substack.com. Okay, let's get into the family stone. Kelsey. Yes. What is your relationship with holiday rom-coms in general? Oh, thank you. Are you a lover? Are you a hater? Thank you so much for asking. (laughs) I am not like a huge holiday movie person in general. Like my sister and my mom are like Hallmark Channel starting like November 15th, right? Like it is like infinite (laughs) Christmas movies. So I have consumed a lot of Christmas movies via osmosis, uh, which is nice. And then I have comfort movies that I like. That are Christmas movies. So I don't know if that's really a satisfying answer to that question. Yeah, I I I think that's a that's a good answer. And I think that more people than we realize are shaped by the Hallmark like 
Leviathan because even if you don't like Hallmark, you probably know someone who just keeps them on all the time for two months. And so that definitely must inform your approach. But it seems like The Family Stone is one of your comfort movies. And I think that's an unusual choice. So I'm really curious why you like the movie, why you chose it out of our short list of holiday rom-coms. I chose the, okay, everyone is always going on and on. They're like, Nathan Fielder this, Nathan Fielder that. (laughs) I love to feel uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, have you tried the family stone? Have you tried grimacing for an hour and a half straight? Because it is a delight. I think that as, as someone who believes that the holidays are like fraught for most people in a lot of ways, The Family Stone is such a joy because it is the most fraught Christmas movie. Like it's like everything <laughs> happening is the most chaotic thing that could possibly happen. Like it makes no sense. Every single turn is deranged and there's something comforting about that to me. Yeah. It's so much fun. I I really agree with your assessment and I'm loving. Now I cannot get over the idea that the family stone is just Nathan Fielder for, girls. for the girls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it also like it's from this era, right, of the office and like incredibly cringy, uncomfortable comedy that I feel like has sort of become less common now. Now it's more just Nathan Fielder. It's it's cringy comedy. It's scripted cringy comedy, mm-hmm. but it's also and I'm sure we'll get to this near the end of the movie, but it's also really physical comedy. Like there is a lot of thing, there are a lot of jokes in this movie that are predicated on like someone slipping and falling, <laughs> someone getting something stuck on their hand. And like that is not super common in comedies currently to have someone just absolutely eat it. And I love that. I think it's funny. <laughs> Especially like comedy, except in it like has made these... for Netflix holiday yes. movies, where yes. that is still a very popular form of comedy. To be yeah. clear, as you can tell, Claire and I have recently <laughs> witnessed some of this type of comedy. Uh, the Family Stone uh, was a national theatrical release. Claire, this is yeah. a serious film. <laughs> I know that's what the blend of just like slapstick comedy, cringe comedy, sort of prestige drama trappings. It it was very confusing, I think, to a lot of critics and audience when it came out. Yeah, I think especially because it was billed as a light, heartwarming, hilarious holiday comedy. (laughs) Wrong! That's how it was marketed. Well, the director has written, has, has given interviews about this and the way that he thinks a lot of critics were really confused by it because, and a lot of audiences, because they went in expecting something and got something very different. I think that's a really generous... Um, (laughs) self-read by the director in that I think it's possible that critics were confused because the plot doesn't make any fucking sense, but that's a separate thing. Okay, well, yeah, that's a separate Um, issue. Um, I do think from the very, like, marketing, though, right, I remember that, like, the poster of her, like, with the middle, the not middle finger, the ring finger straight up with the rock on it and the family stone plaster. And it's like, that is the point of the movie, but also the point of the movie is death so it's yeah <laughs> like many christmas movies that turn out to be about death it is sometimes hard to understand what mood you're supposed to be in when you're watching it it mm-hmm. takes you on a journey of coziness and despair that is just uh most of us are not accustomed with navigating that particular roller coaster but it's definitely a really interesting kind of holiday movie. It does like go against, it, it employs certain tropes and at the same time 
is unlike most holiday movies that we, I think, are all used to in certain ways. Yeah. So let's get into the background of this great film. Great. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the family Stone follows the titular Stone family who is thrown into absolute emotional disarray over Christmas when the oldest son, the oldest boy, Everett, <laughs> brings his extremely uptight girlfriend, Meredith, who always has her hair in a tight bun. Very tight. The tightest bun you could imagine. I'm wearing one in honor of Meredith for this I think And I think you've really nailed it. Thank it. you. Yeah, it looks Yeah, just like a little vibe. part at the front. Yeah. It's the Meredith Morton. <laughs> Honestly, it's like very chic on TikTok now. <laughs> it's the clean girl Meredith aesthetic. Is, yeah, it's the clean girl aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith Morton is in. <laughs> I have to admit at this point that I had known about this movie for years. I'd seen it and I did not understand why it was called The Family Stone until we worked <laughs> on this episode. I was like, there's like a stone that's maybe magical <laughs> significant to the family. <laughs> no, that's the family named Stone. And this is the same formulation as Sly in The Family Stone. So oh, is yeah. this supposed to be biting that in some way? Because you never hear other families referred to that way. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I read that they were just bandying about a lot of different titles. Um, The movie was, I think, originally titled Fucking Hate Her. Yeah, that would have gotten marketed differently. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, then they they were thinking about sticks and stones or the family stone, and they landed on the family stone, which was Mm. out of those two. Definitely the the correct option. So this romantic dramedy was released on December 16th, 2005. It was directed and written by Thomas Bazucha. Bazooka? I'm honestly not sure which pronunciation is correct uh, because I've only read his name in text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're and literate. This seems, yeah. yeah, I'm literate. I'm literate uh, and I'm so proud. <laughs> and this really seems to be his biggest movie. The only other movie of his that I had seen was the Guernsey Literary and Potato (gasps) Peel Pie Society, which is a period drama from 2018. He wrote the screenplay for that. I don't know if anyone else has. I haven't seen it, but I think it must have, it's an adapted screenplay, right? It was based on a novel. It's based on a novel. Uh, It's like one of those movies that I just have come across on uh, random streaming platforms (laughs) over the years. And I was like, ah, a lovely period romance. This seems like the kind of thing Uh I would enjoy. Yeah. Is so it good? very different. Is it? it was, yeah. I oh, think okay. it's enjoyable. I think I wasn't like blown away, but I, you know, if you need, if you're, you know, need a nice movie to put on on a rainy day, like I'm not mad about it. But this is his like magnum opus. Yes, this is his magnum opus. He wrote and directed The Family Stone, and he got the idea for the screenplay because his sister was dating a guy that his family hated and thought was a bad match for her. And they did not torture him. Imagine being that guy, though, where you're, like, trying to piece together the timeline (laughs) and you're like, wait a second. This is right after that actually kind of awkward (laughs) visit I had with them around the holidays. (laughs) Uh, I think it was a few years removed, but that was the seed of the idea for the screenplay. As I said, the original title was Fucking Hate Her, which is great and is still a line. In the movie. Yeah, Yeah, I do think one of the things that 
is good about this movie, and this is me being very generous because I don't think there are a lot of like actually quote unquote good things about this movie. (laughs) But one of the things I do think is good is like this is kind of how Christmas is, right? It's Mm -hmm. like you have like family drama of like we have this tragedy happening in our family. We have sibling dynamics where like everyone wants to kill each other and also would die for each other. And then you have these, like, randos being introduced to a 30-year-long family relationship. Like, that is kind of how going home for the holidays works. Like, it is a dramedy for most people. Absolutely. Got to hand it to him. (laughs) This is always my bone to pick with holiday rom-coms as a genre, is that I'm like, this isn't really a holiday about love. Everyone's just at home with their families. This is what a holiday romance (laughs) looks like. You're at home with your boyfriend's family, and then you're like, I actually think I might be more into his brother. And, and you're also like cute. relatable, <laughs> relatable content. I'm so miserable. Let me call my hot sister to right. come save me. I, <laughs> that'll fix this. Okay, we. I am very excited to talk about Julie because I have some Same. notes yeah. for Julie on her role as supportive sister. So the family stone ended up being pitched uh, about a week before Meet the Parents came out. Which oh. ended up delaying this movie by a few years. It went through several iterations. Oh my and then God. became what we know <laughs> as the Family Stone. And of course, it also stars a lot of heavy hitters who were already like very famous at the time. Sarah Jessica Parker had really just come off of Sex in the City. Like I think maybe she was filming the last season when this filmed. It came out the year after Sex in the City ended. Luke Wilson, Claire Danes, obviously had been famous for a long time, Elizabeth Reeser, Dermot Mulroney, Craig T. Nelson, Rachel McAdams, right post Mean Girls, The Notebook, and Wedding Crashers. She was peak. And then, of course, Diane Keaton. Like, you can't really get much bigger than that. It's such a stacked cast. And like, there's a moment at the end that I noted to talk about that where I was like, oh my God, so many people in this movie are good actors, right? Like the way that they are able to like control their face and use these like tiny micro expressions to create things that do not exist in the script and do not function within the movie is like truly incredible. I'm like, how did you get this stacked of a cast? Somebody did a con. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting reading the oral history talking about that. And it seemed like uh, the director and writer was sort of almost surprised that everyone was so interested and they kept expecting people to drop out. But everyone just really, it seems like, gravitated to their character. And even Rachel McAdams had been in talks for the role when it first was pitched. And then she did The Notebook and Mean Girls. And Bazucho was like, oh, she's not going to want to do this anymore. And then she like called him and was like, that role is still mine, right? I really want to be Amy. And so they all just somehow, I think it's that thing that, that you're relating to on some level, Kelsey, that this movie just captures in its messy, imperfect way something about what real families are like. And people, even maybe in the movie, kind of latched onto that and wanted to bring their their perspective on that role. And it's true. Like, you can just see the class. Like, this script could have been a really bad movie. (laughs) And terrible. It could have, yeah, so much of what works about this movie rests on the skill of the actors embodying these characters. It makes sense to me why actors would want to do this movie, though, because all of the characters are really distinct 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, oh, you're playing the eldest brother. It's like, you're playing the eldest brother. Here are his hangups. He's obsessed with his mom. He's conservative. And the rest of his family <laughs> listens to NPR. Like, he has this weird girlfriend he's not sure if he likes. And he has a huge <laughs> complex about his younger brother. Like, that is a character that is pretty easy to be like, oh, yeah, I know what to do with that. Yeah. Also, something he to, wears like, ties and turtlenecks, okay? <laughs> the tightest ties and turtlenecks. The tightest tie. <laughs> his neck needs to be constrained. Yeah, it needs to be constrained. I was watching this last night to prepare and Greg was watching it with me for a little bit and he he was like blown away by how stacked the female side of the cast is. Yes. He was like, I'm sorry, you have Sarah Jessica Parker, Rachel McAdams, and Diane Keaton. And on the other side, you got what? Dermot Mulroney? Craig T. Nelson? Come on. He's like, they're completely oh, the overmatched. Men, the men do not hold a candle to the women in this movie. In fact, Greg was so incensed that he texted me at 11 p.m. <laughs> last night. <laughs> he had a lot of feelings. He had so many feelings. I And we all agree. So he's that's right. beautiful. And he should yeah, say he's it. Correct. He's Thank right you, and he Greg. should say it. <laughs> yeah, get your feelings out. We love men expressing feelings. So when The Family Stone first came out, Reviews were extremely <laughs> mixed, which is not surprising. No. <laughs> it has a rotten tomato score of 52%, which is like really right down the middle. And a lot of the reviews were like themselves a mixed bag. Roger Ebert, who we love on this podcast because he always took romantic movies very seriously mm-hmm. in his reviews, he gave the movie three stars and said that it, quote, sorts out its characters admirably and finds a winding path between happy and sad secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He he sort of deems it a screwball comedy. And that's his his read of of what this movie is trying to do. And ultimately he he's like this just sort of accomplishes that in its own odd way. Yeah. He's like, is it the greatest movie I've seen (laughs) recently about a family? No. (laughs) Is it but does it deserve to be evaluated on its own merits? Yes. He's like, is it June Bug? No. But to be fair, that is not the fault of the family stone. Yeah. <laughs> no so one asked true. it to be June Bug. <laughs> uh, Manola Dargis of the New York Times was a little more negative. And a lot of the review, and I think this is a bit of a theme, just has to do with how unlikable the family is, and especially the women. She describes... Nathan Fielder. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why would I want to spend time with these awkward and uncomfortable people? She describes Keaton's uh, Sybil, the the matriarch of the Stone family, as, quote, fairly monstrous, and most of the children as, quote, fairly unbearable. And so she's sort of walking this line between praising how well they perform these characters and at the same time saying, why would we want to spend time watching these horrible people at their family Christmas? (laughs) And what are the gender politics also of like portraying women in these cartoonishly horrible ways? Yeah, I'm excited to get into that later, that question. Um, But she did say that it was the women's performances and especially Sarah Jessica Parker's that made the movie worth watching. Some critics like SF Chronicle's Mike LaSalle were less generous. And he described the movie as, quote, a feel-bad holiday film about a repellent family with a milk toast dad and a smug, devious harpy of a mom. Wow. (laughs) 
his his thing was like, I'm actually fine with the horrible gender politics of the film. It's true that women with opinions and they are flaws are, are smug, yeah. devious harpies. It's just that I think all women should be very sweet and gentle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of, like, use of the word shrill in a Ooh. lot of these reviews, just to give yeah. you an idea of the gender politics of the time. Which is funny, because I actually don't think of any of the characters the way these reviews are describing, mm-hmm. even though I agree that Same. they are not exactly exemplars of welcoming and wonderful <laughs> behavior. <laughs> but that's... no. The one, like, one of the things that the Family Stone is doing that is interesting is, like, kind of flipping the classic Hallmark Christmas movie of, like, liberal, demonic businesswoman goes home to conservative town and realizes the beauty of family, right? Whereas this is, like, demonic conservative woman (laughs) goes to town with NPR totes and realizes that families can be bad. Like, like, That is the real message of the Family Stone. And on that note, I think we need a minute to contemplate that. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, Claire is going to lead us through the summary of this movie. Can you keep up? I like love it. Okay, so you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. (laughs) So important. I also just know myself. I, I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender, I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while or even not that long knows that we love Article. I mean, honestly, I'm looking around my home right now. Coffee tables from Article, that lovely chair out on my deck, Article, our big console, Article, my bed frame, Article. This is an Article household. It is. And it's, I mean, it was an inspiration to me. We finally got our first Article piece of furniture recently, our new couch. And my husband and I are both constantly just like, how did we live before this couch? This is such an improvement over what we had before. It's so comfortable. It just seems to get more comfortable every day. I mean, it's the couch you dream of. And the reason that we have both been able to find ideal furniture on Article is because Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some really delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. And their team of designers are all about finding that perfect balance between style, quality, and price because we all want 
the best of all of those three things united in one piece of furniture, right? Plus, they're dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and, you know, looks good doing it. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for 3 weeks and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we're back, and it's time to dive into the actual sort of blow-by-blow of the family stone. So we open in a bustling, prosperous department store. The sort of scene that was once a staple of holiday movies, but now looks sort of dated— Like, Mm -hmm. who's ever in a bustling, luxurious department store anymore at the holidays? We're all just just ordering shit on Amazon. At their laptops, like, (laughs) yeah, what's what's my what's the best sale on Black Friday? And less romantic. Oh, so so nostalgic to me. I was like, I love this. This is Christmas to me. And the most uptight woman in the world, Meredith Morton, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, is darting through the store in her suit and heels, snipping orders to some assistant through her little flip phone about a report that she needs immediately, even though it's Christmas. She doesn't care. She'll get Monday off. So we immediately know that Meredith Morton is someone we're really going to like. <laughs> she looks incredible. I think that I just I think that this is important to note is that like every single minute of this movie, even when Sarah Jessica Parker is literally covered in strata, she looks incredible. Like she looks so good in every single scene that it's like, yeah, she seems hateable, but also like, where did she buy that? Right? (laughs) Yeah. Where is that gorgeous, dark gray tailored suit set from that she, that looks so feminine and also striking? Like, the yeah, styling is I would so wear, interesting honestly, in these moments because in a Hallmark movie, she would just be wearing like a pencil skirt classic suit. Yes. And instead, she's wearing the sort of interesting full skirted suit with the little jacket. She looks but hot. so great. She's the classic like career woman who is 
very repressed and uptight as symbolized by her severe hairstyle, which is also (laughs) just like the opposite of Carrie Bradshaw, right? She's suppressed Mm -hmm. her wild curls, curly (laughs) curls into this chignon. And I do, I do wonder if that was part of the appeal. I think it's Sarah Jessica, right? Like this, like she's playing so against type for Carrie Mm -hmm. Bradshaw. She talks a lot about how the director had really wanted her movements to be as restrained as possible, like never use her hands in conversation at all. And Carrie Bradshaw was always gesticulating with her hands. And so I think it was an interesting um, challenge as an actor to to do that. It's also interesting because, I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker has such an iconic look that it is kind of hard to forget who she is, even when she's in like any movie at all. And here she's playing a woman who's immaculately dressed, obsessed with fancy shoes and feels like a completely different character than Carrie Bradshaw in every scene, yeah. which is incredible. Yes. Like her ability to hold her chest in a slight like panic for this whole movie <laughs> is dynamic and like very interesting to watch. I agree. She is meeting her boyfriend at the department store counter, Everett Stone, played by Dermot Mulroney, who within moments of seeing her, it seems clear, hates her. Like, there's never a point in this Correct. movie where you're like, oh, Everett's really into Meredith. Even before they go home to meet his family, you're like, he doesn't like this girl. Why are they dating? Everett has a look of, like, slight pain and depression on his face <laughs> almost 100% of the time. They are headed to Connecticut for Christmas with his family, the family stone, of course. Of course. And at this point, we move to that house in Connecticut, a rambling sort of bohemian house in the fictional town of Thayer. The Stone, Matriarch, and Patriarch are awaiting the arrivals of their children. Sybil, played by Diane Keaton, and Kelly, played by Craig T. Nelson, are the parents of five. Everett, Ben, Luke Wilson. Oh, sorry. Everett, Ben, played by Luke Wilson. I got distracted by sorry. You're being like, five. It's so many. Like, five I know. So many. It seems like a lot of pregnancy. <laughs> I mean, I thought more about having so many small kids underfoot, but it's 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 a lot. It's a lot of kids. Claire, it's Ever- not too late for you to become the family stone. <laughs> I think about that all the time. I was like, if I just had one more kid, I would be one more kid closer to being Diane to the Keaton and the family stone. <laughs> <So true. laughs> I love that. For Every you. kid I have brings me closer to that goal. Um, wow, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> You'll have so many shawl collar sweaters. Oh, that's what I for want. This Claire. Also, it'll be really fun for me and Emma when you call us and tell us that your sons have switched girlfriends. Like that could be very exciting <laughs> for me. The gossip. Um, I'm so excited to be able to gossip about my kids. Honestly, this film is full of gossip. Yes. <laughs> Everything happening in this family is deranged. Like, the best (laughs) part about Julie is imagining being Julie's best friend (laughs) and getting a call from her that's like, I went to visit my sister with her boyfriend's bad family, and now I'm wearing her boyfriend's mom's engagement ring? Question mark. (laughs) Now I am his girlfriend, but it's okay because my sister is now dating his brother. (laughs) It's fine. It's very normal. We're all extremely well-adjusted and look forward to next Christmas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the the five children are Everett, Ben, played by Luke Wilson, Thad, played by Tyrone Giordano, Susanna, played by Elizabeth Reeser, and Amy, played by, of course, the luminous Rachel McAdams. And they all represent sort of different um, sides of this sort of eccentric, uh, 
family that is full of um, just free spirits. People who people who Quirky follow the liberals. beat of their own drum. Quirky liberals. <laughs> Everett is, however, the business boy. He wears dark turtlenecks and ties. Ben is a Berkeley-dwelling film editor who doesn't comb his hair. Dad is a an architect. He is also deaf, and he is married to Patrick, with whom he is adopting a child. Susanna is, I guess, just a mom. She's a stay-at-home mom. They don't do a whole lot with the character of Susanna. No, no. She has a daughter. <laughs> She's currently pregnant with another child. And Amy, the youngest, is an NPR tote bag-wearing mismatched giant hoodie and floofy skirt wearing teacher and grad student and she just hates meredith she fucking she hates, hates her yes. she is the reason this movie exists that line i fucking hate her and so one by one the children trickle in to the family home and we quickly get a sense of the family dynamic it's very affectionate it's very unfiltered the mom is making sex jokes about her children (laughs) and because of that the whole family also signs when talking to each other so that was a big part of the performances of each of the stone family members was sort of learning sign language and learning the signs they needed for those scenes um as a non-signing member of the deaf community i find this like very beautiful to see in a movie to see actors who have actually learned the basic signs to communicate and like I think it's really lovely in a movie to see that kind of family communal care where it's like oh one of us has difficulty hearing and therefore we all do this thing to accommodate them like I think it's a small thing but something that does kind of create a family ecosystem immediately out of the gate where it's like he can hear he's wearing hearing aids like he knows what people are saying around him but people are accommodating him at all times and that's kind of like a lovely form of showing your love for each other. Yeah, and the actor who plays that is hard of hearing in real life. And they did work with, I think, like a coach to kind of figure out that casual form Mm -hmm. of signing, like that it would be this like mix between talking and signing and like what what would it actually look like in a family like this. Mm -hmm. And it also doubles as this incredible um, storytelling tool of like this is a shared language that outsiders mm-hmm. from the hearing world automatically are not privy to. And so it's like one more thing that immediately separates Meredith from the rest of the family. But it's also yeah. like all families have languages that they use with well, each exactly. other, right? So it is a visual, in a movie, which is visual, it is a visual indicator of that kind of like internal conversation that it that happens, which I found really fun. Yeah, yeah. me too. And I think that's why it works so well because it is a stand-in for that thing that exists, yeah, in yeah. any family unit in some form. And I think it it is a way to symbolize sort of how caring and accommodating they are to each other. Yeah. In, yeah. in contrast to how they are able to be perhaps <laughs> with an <laughs> outsider. Like for them, family is sort of above all. Their family culture is very important to them. Caring for each other is very important to them. And everyone else is, you know, they're <laughs> secondary in that environment. We don't even see... You know, the only partner that we see throughout most of the movie, aside from Meredith, is Patrick, who is married to that. They obviously can communicate with each other. He's part of the family dynamic. We don't even see John, Susanna's husband, until the very end. He's on the phone. He's He's on the phone. He's somewhere on the phone. Yeah. Um, So there is this way in which Meredith is even more the outsider that we don't get much of a sense of what it's been like for other partners to kind of integrate to this. 
So <sighs> Everett and Meredith finally show up and it immediately goes very badly, perhaps partly because Amy, who is the only one who has met her, that she also lives uh, in New York or was in New York and they all met for dinner. Mm-hmm. Amy has been talking shit about her. She's like, she's so, she talked about herself the whole time. She has this horrible throat clearing tick. You know, she says when, it's like she's digging for clams. It's like she's digging for clams. When you have a natural talent, such a shit talking, you should <laughs> use it. And like, <laughs> Amy is so good at it. Like that whole little rant she goes on about Meredith is just perfect. You're like, yeah, yeah. drag her, but also don't. This woman is coming <laughs> to your house. <laughs> it really captures, and I think reviews reviewers struggled with this because it's not exactly like admirable, but I think it really captures in the movie how compelling it can be when someone is doing something like talking shit about someone else in a way that is so interesting and fun. And you're like, I want to be part of this. And then you're like, is this bad and mean? Uh, I don't know. I really want to be close to the person who's being so fun in a mean way. But you need it in this movie because she poisons the well before she gets there. Like before Meredith gets there, Amy has already been like, she has this annoying throat clearing thing. She's totally stuck up. Like, and even though everyone is laughing at it, it's like, those are the things they think about her before she arrives, which yeah, yeah they're yeah. preparing to meet that version of mm-hmm. a person now. Yes. And unfortunately, that's also kind of an accurate, accurate read. <laughs> <laughs> so she's not only excessively stiff and formal when she meets the whole family, she also insults <laughs> Thad by talking very loud and slow to him. And he's like, why is she shouting? Like, this why did Everett not prepare her? This for- is, this, yes, this, this is my first bit. I mean, first of all, not Meredith, do better. But second of all, Everett, what the fuck is your problem? You, you know your family culture. Why have you not done any work to prepare Meredith for your family culture or for like how to be appropriate to your brother? It. It's not kind baffling. to Thad that he that he didn't no. prepare Meredith no. for this. I think that is like overwhelmingly as we go through the most cringe moments <sighs> are like moments between Meredith and Thad, which she is like not equipped to handle, has basically no knowledge on, and has not been talked to about this family in a way that makes sense. Like if my partner did not tell me like, hey, you don't need to yell. Like, in yeah. that moment, Everett should be like, you don't need to yell. He can hear right. you. And yeah. then she would be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, my bad. Instead, you just have this, like, lingering resentment, which is what movies run on. Right. Like, how is she supposed to understand how to communicate with his brother appropriately if he's not going to guide her at all? And Meredith is never the person who is going to make the right choice instinctually. <laughs> so you really have to she tell her. She needs help. She then refuses to sleep in the same bed as Everett because it's his parents' house. This is bananas. Aren't they supposed to be, like, almost 40? My note here says, how old is everyone in this family? Because, like, Sarah Jessica Parker was 40 when she filmed this. She she was in her late 30s. Late 30s. And Dermot Mulroney was about 40. They made him dye his hair because he was starting to gray. It is. So I think they're supposed to be in their late 30s. I mean, the youngest daughter is... Is getting a master's. So you got to think she's probably, what, 23, 24 at most. Yes. 
And it's a family of five. Like he's he's very likely he's at least 35. He's like 40. Yeah. It is just there are so many unbelievable things about this movie, but like not sleeping in the same room with someone you drove in a car with is <laughs> insane. Like it doesn't, even if you're 20 years old and you follow the rules of the house. Right. Like you, that is how yeah, it works. That's the thing. It, yes. it derives from her own anxieties about being a guest. Perception. Mm-hmm. And how she'll be perceived as a guest that are not rooted at all in the actual family she is a guest of. She's like, it's not appropriate to be an unwed couple sleeping together in someone else's home. Well, they gave you the room together. They want you to sleep there. Why are you Why are you making an issue out of this? It's because she's very firmly latched on to the idea that she will be perceived in a certain way if she if she does that. And so she's making the exact wrong move to accept their hospitality because she's trying so hard to accept it in the right way. Yes, and this couple does not speak to each other at all. Like, <laughs> no, like they don't is, enjoy each other, nor do they speak to each it other. It is so clear that he hates her and that yeah. he does not communicate well with her because, like, if she's saying those things, then one, she has no idea how your family functions at all and is flying, like, in the dark. And two, she's basically just being, like, I don't know. You need to be like, my mom does not care about this. She would not have put us in this room. (laughs) Also say there are simply not enough Enough rooms. rooms. So if you feel uncomfortable, first of all, this should have been discussed before because they could have just stayed Mm -hmm. at the Mm -hmm. inn Mm -hmm. if this was going to be an issue. But Everett refuses to do anything that would set anyone up for success. Yeah. He does kind of say like, well, they put us in this room together. They know we're here. And that isn't sufficient for Meredith. It seems like their relationship sort of formed in a business context, and it has never really left that context. Mm-hmm. Correct. She doesn't know anything about his personal life, his family. <laughs> They're calling how, how to read his reports <laughs> and give a lot of good notes on those reports. <laughs> so at this point, the family decides to kick Amy out of her room so that Meredith has somewhere to sleep and Amy has to sleep on the couch. This is another thing that I disagree with. Everett should be on the couch. <laughs> Everett should obviously be it on the couch. 100%. Why would he not be on the couch? Why like, is this Amy's problem? It's not Amy's problem. Amy didn't <laughs> no, bring this woman deranged. home. And, and Amy is exactly the person who already hates her. So the whole family is just like, I know what's going to fix this problem. We're going to make her really hate Meredith <laughs> for no reason. Let's give her a reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it She seems stole my bed. <laughs> one of those moments where you're just like, Everett really has been catered to a little too much. They're like, this is our eldest boy. He must never sleep on the couch. Guys, very quickly, I grew to hate Everett. Yes. And I was like, yet again, there is a romantic movie I am revisiting and realizing that Dermot Mulroney is the villain. <laughs> the same conclusion we came to when re-watching My Best Friend's Wedding. I mean, I do think Sarah Jessica Parker is also a villain. Like, this, Well, there's this many villains to fair in this movie, except I just like... I'm more interested by her and Everett. I just want to yell at to go to therapy. Also, Everett isn't really framed ever as a villain, except in the moments when Meredith kind of turns on him after she has done something egregious and is like, how could you do that to me? Why aren't you standing up for me? And because it's her in these very unsympathetic moments turning on him, it reads as her lashing out instead of what it should maybe read as, which is he is also to blame for all of this. So the family asks how she met Everett, and Meredith tells an interminable story using one of my favorite sort of tropes 
to show how long of a story someone's telling, which is to cut between different locations, even though it doesn't make any <laughs> sense, because why would she suddenly be picking up that story 20 minutes later in a different it's place? It's so good. It's so it's good. Incredible. It just like gives you the feeling of what's happening, and that's what's important in, in making a movie. So she cuts across with this story. They're driving the car. They're waiting at the pizza place, coming home to eat. And somehow it's just that they were in Hong Kong and they met at a hotel. <laughs> That's it, basically. Well, they were in Hong Kong, but over on Kowloon's side, not Hong Kong Island. <laughs> and Meredith was there for the post-post-unification conference. And who I should she see? This is... what's what is so beautiful about this story is like everyone thinks that their meeting story is interesting and like it (laughs) it does a really good job of portraying like she thinks that this is the cutest meet cute in the world and she's like isn't it so adorable that I ran into this girl from high school that I haven't seen in a decade in this hotel in Hong Kong and everyone else is like no Everyone else is, like, just begging this story to end. Yeah. You got to just say we met at a hotel in Hong Kong, Meredith, and you can say a mutual friend. friend. It was crazy. And he was on his way to a monastery to see a giant Buddha. She's like just some pilgrimage he'd gotten into his head. But of course, he never made it. Instead, Meredith helped him work on his report for an IPO. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the great tragedy of Everett, that he's he's just trying to see art and beauty and shrill women keep preventing him with their reports. This does have like one of the greatest owns I've ever seen in a movie though, which is when the parents are discussing the situation in the bed after this scene. And he's like, he doesn't know who he is. Like our son hasn't figured out who he is. And I'm like, that's an incredible own of a 40 year old, right? Like you should have figured out who you are. And that is And it's exactly correct. It's an exactly correct read on Everett, who is like casting about trying to be flailing good yeah and like yeah and completely failing to to really address himself and thus being like shitty to everyone in his life then they all play charades which is a (laughs) classic scene uh during which amy accuses meredith on pretty flimsy evidence i gotta say of pointing at patrick who is black while struggling to give a clue for the bride wore black Meredith <laughs> denies it, but then ends up rushing out frazzled because Amy is like, no, you are. You're still pointing at him. I can't believe you're doing that. And when they read out the clue, Patrick clearly seems more annoyed at Amy than anything. He's like, why did you do yeah. that? He's being used as a prop by this family in a way that becomes quite uncomfortable, but that doesn't seem to be, it's just not rising to the level of the main topic of the movie. <laughs> I, also, don't make your new girlfriend play charades with your family. Like, oh my like, God. No. I, just, I actually like, got so much secondhand anxiety re-watching this scene. I was like, this is my nightmare, actually. Someone forcing me to perform charades in public and, like, enter into this family culture and give me a clue that I don't know how to do. Like, that just yeah. plays on all of my my worst game anxieties. This yes. was one of those moments when it really struck me that this is from a time before smartphones. 
Because I feel yes. like these gatherings now are just everyone staring at their phones. So <laughs> and they're like, what can we do? Charades, I guess. Like, we only have this one DVD from Netflix, and we already watched it. <laughs> so I guess we'll play charades. And it doesn't go well for Meredith. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to check in on our troubled heroine. Can you keep up? I like I am so glad that it's finally warming up. And it also means that I just want to have fun this summer and I don't want to be worrying about meal prep. And luckily, I can do something about that with Factor, especially because they have so many meal options like Protein Plus, Keto, Vegetarian, something for every diet. Their fresh, never frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Make your whole day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. I love having a few factor meals just sitting in my fridge, especially because I work from home. It's so nice to finish up a taping and not have to figure out what to cook myself. Just look in my fridge and be like, oh, in two minutes, I can be eating mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice or tomato basil chicken risotto or Santa Fe style green chili beef skillet. And they always have a nice like vegetable side. It feels well-balanced. I feel full after, and it's not a headache at all. Head to factormeals.com slash LTSI50 and use code LTSI50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code LTSI50 at factormeals.com slash LTSI50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. And we're back. And at this point, at post-charades, Meredith is unraveling. She's furious at Everett for not sticking up for her. Fair. 
And she tells him that she can see him beginning to look at her like they do. She's like, your family and the way they see me is changing how you see me. And it kind of seems like he already saw her that way based on every other interaction we've seen of them. But maybe it's making it more pointed in a way that she's noticing. And she ends up telling him that she wouldn't want him just because he was a good guy who got caught up in something and couldn't find the break. And he says, I'm not a good guy. Woof. Correct. Woof. <laughs> you know what? It's the, that's the only correct thing Everett knows about himself. Yeah. And Meredith is wrong. She's like, yeah, you are. He's not. He's not a good guy. And he didn't deny that he just got caught up in something and couldn't find the break. <laughs> so good luck with that. Wait, this is also iconic line time. I am not a completely ridiculous person. Everett, yes. Which is a perfect line. <laughs> like, you... You are, actually, ma'am, yes. right? Like, both of them are doing this thing where they're like, I'm not a good th- good guy. I'm not a ridiculous person. And it's like, please. <laughs> please. Let's have, like, a little bit of self-awareness, I think, well, could help think both of you. <laughs> the amazing thing about that line is that yeah. she knows she's a completely she's ridiculous right. person. Yeah. Or she would never have thought to say that. Like, right, no, no one yes. said that about herself. you're a completely ridiculous person. <laughs> Who introduced that? <laughs> she said that about herself. And she's like, but I'm not. That can't be it. Like, don't think that about me but she thought of it because she thinks that yeah well meredith is the classic case of a person who creates what they fear like she's can goes in and she's like i'm not a ridiculous person and i'm just gonna be and they're all gonna hate me and then they do because she acts in a way that like asks them to hate her but she's also Right. Yes. Right? Like, they do hate her. She's he actually looking at her differently. Like, <laughs> her anxieties Truths. are based on, at, like, the real world. Like, it's not like yeah. she's made up that these people hate her. Amy hated her at dinner. Amy poisoned the well. Like, she's right to feel this way. So, yeah. it's like, she's, she's not ridiculous really for ridiculous other reasons. about that. She is a ridiculous person. No, but it's... <laughs> It's the way that it can fuel it, right? Like, yes. she is she's correct making that it they worse. hate her. <laughs> and she, it's also true that she's making it worse by, by, in her anxiety, tightening up and doing exactly all of the things that make yeah. them hate her even harder. And so after a, a confrontation with Amy in the morning, Meredith decides to go to the local inn in their Connecticut town. She ends up, I think, kind of snapping at Amy that she doesn't oh, care if Amy likes so her. And Amy's like, pointed. Of course you do. Devastating. <laughs> She's like, aw, of course you do. Yeah. And just stares at her with her glasses I mean, and her coffee mug and the same t shirt she was wearing yesterday. And yeah. I was like, you're right, Rachel McAdams. I do want you to like me. <laughs> So it's such younger sister behavior, like the youngest <laughs> of this whole family being the like bratty mean one is just perfect casting. But it's also so yeah. interesting to see Rachel McAdams deliver that line, not as Regina George, right? Oh, to yeah. see her deliver, of course you do, in a way that's like, I'm the good guy is really yeah. interesting. Like you're burning her to hell and you also believe that you're the one that's right, which is kind of she plays the absolute hell out of Amy. Amy, like, I couldn't look away from Amy whenever she was on screen. Like, she is luminous as Rachel McAdams, but she's also just, like, fully inhabiting this role and having a lot of fun with it. And Meredith 
obviously can't stay in the same house as Amy after this. <laughs> so she heads off to the inn, claiming she has a bad back. And <laughs> they can put a board under her mattress at the inn. So she calls her sister, Julie, played by Claire Danes, in for reinforcements, <laughs> as you do when it's like Christmas Eve <laughs> and things aren't going so well with your boyfriend's family. And Everett rushes in to confront the family over how badly they've treated her that she has resorted to this. And obviously they're all like, she called her sister? Like, what is wrong with her? And he's like, enough, damn it. You better get used to the idea that Meredith is someone who is really important to me. And they're like, okay. <laughs> Okay, we're going to be better. They are not better. <laughs> they need a little bit more fun before they can come have their come-to-Jesus moment on this. Meanwhile, Meredith is waiting in the car, and Ben goes out in ripped gray, gray, <laughs> ben goes out in ripped gray sweatpants and uncombed hair to give her a mug of coffee in the car, Sybil's favorite <laughs> mug. And just sort of, like, waggle his dick bulge at her while she sits in the car. Like, any yes. woman who has been on the New York City subway system is familiar yes. with the gray sweatpants move. I just don't understand giving it to someone who is ultimately a romantic lead. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are a lot of interesting choices made with Ben. I mean, his styling is egregious. I I've really, like, never seen Luke Wilson look worse. He just always looks greasy and un unappetizing. But more importantly, this is like sex predator chic. Like yeah. this moment, <laughs> nothing about this makes me intrigued by him as a romantic it's figure. So, it is like so basic in every move, right? Of like, <laughs> this girl needs so little to feel appreciated. Like she has stormed out to the car after being treated like shit. Her boyfriend did not go with her. Now her boyfriend's brother is here with a weird cup of coffee to be like, I had a dream about you. <laughs> like, girl. Oh, yeah, he says, I had a dream. And he's always Get like, out yeah. of here. He's waggling his dick. He's like putting his arm around her. He's like, I had a dream about you. No, And no. you can see her slowly sort of throughout the movie being like, uh, well, at least he's into me, you know? Like, it's uncomfortable. Every and ben, my boundaries, but frankly, both do a bunch of like creepy ass touchy shit. Yeah. Yes. Um, I would like to give everyone permission that if your boyfriend is treating you like this or your boyfriend's brother makes a pass at you, you should <laughs> fucking leave. Like, leave. do not go to the inn. Go, go to home. your family's <laughs> Christmas. Don't call your sister and be like, come to my boyfriend's family Christmas instead of our family Christmas. Call your so sister that I and be like, stay. we're going to Vegas. <laughs> Get out of there. <laughs> no one will appreciate your strata in this house, Meredith. No. Yeah. Make it, it elsewhere. Seems like, it seems like she's say, staying because she expects an engagement at a certain point. It's like, why would you not just be like, this isn't going well. I'm going to go home to my family and we'll try this again another time. <laughs> or not. Or not. Or not. They, uh, the, the rest of the Stone family then has a family meeting where Kelly lectures <laughs> them to behave while the fun kids, Amy and Ben, eat cereal. And you can tell that they're like the fun, loosey-goosey ones who don't give a fuck because they're just like in the living room eating cereal during this big family meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I just left it. I was like, no one else is eating. Why are they having an entire bowl of cereal right now? That's how because you know. They <laughs> they're just so rebellious and cool. 
<laughs> and Ben is like, I, I just don't think that Meredith and Everett should get married because they don't even love each other. Correct assessment by Ben. This is the drum he keeps beating. He's like, I see a hot woman and I see that she and my brother don't love each other. So I better step in there. She's my my girlfriend now. (laughs) She's my girlfriend now. (laughs) Everett then takes Sybil aside and asks for his grandmother's wedding ring, which she had promised to him when he met the woman that he wanted to marry. And she says, no. And he says, you promised. And she says, tough shit. So now they are in a fight. <laughs> I I was having a really hard time grappling with this scene because part of me is like, what is your role as a parent here? And as a non-parent, I can't speak to that. But I do think it's funny to say tough <laughs> shit. I won't be giving you my mother's ring because I think this girl's annoying. Like, I think that that is kind of incredible in a way to be like, I want the stone to stay in this family stone and I don't like her. Is yeah. Oh my God. Of course, it's the family stone. Yeah. You guys, the you many just... levels on which I did not understand the title of this movie is Claire, insane. Claire. I know. It's family I should probably, stone. I should probably retire from my job because I wow. don't understand even You've the You've had a basic. great career. <laughs> we salute fun, you. But we'll I realized you. I'm not qualified. <laughs> for puns (laughs) (laughs) so yeah no as a parent um i would love to have final sign off on who my children marry but i think that uh this is an interesting just sort of gender swapped twist on asking for the the blessing Mm -hmm. like i want your permission (laughs) to get married and She's like, I, I just can't approve of this. It's like a Bachelor episode yes. where they're like, you know, I would love to, but I can't really endorse this right now, you know? I, I do like this plot in that I think it is such a revealing plot about Everett because it's like, this is so clearly not about Meredith. Like, Meredith does not want your mom's mom's ring. (laughs) Meredith wants the biggest ring money can buy, and she wants it to be huge and beautiful. And It's a good thing she ends up with Ben. But that is like, that's the thing that is missing here is it's like, it's so important to you to have this family ring for no real reason besides like you were promised it. Because he's the oldest boy and he deserves it. Kelsey. Baby shit. (laughs) (laughs) Grow up. (laughs) It seems like maybe there is something going on here that is not about Meredith that we are supposed to be chewing over because... After this, he's forced to go to a local jewelry store to pick out of just a big honking new ring with Thad, who ends up kind of begging him not to marry Meredith. And he says to Everett, is this about mom? And Everett says, of course, it's about mom. This is, I think, our first really explicit hint that Sybil is not well. Yes. And it seems like what they are maybe trying to drive at with Everett's preoccupation with the ring is that this is kind of his last chance to have his mom pass that ring to him herself and to say, you know, I approve of your choice of life partner, go forth and be happy with the ring that I promised you. Because if he keeps waiting to meet someone else, he may never get to have that moment with his mom. And that actually 
did it seems insane like what yeah what, like that's not a good reason to marry someone but it, i did really relate to that as someone whose mom has never met my husband and yeah i never got to have that moment with her that he sees this opportunity and he's like we're going to have this meaningful conversation as i enter into this new phase of adulthood with my partner that i always thought i would have with her yeah right. and and you would want your parent to be a part of that like i think that even as someone who hasn't experienced that personally that felt resonant to me. Like it's an understa- it's understandable even as an adult in your late 30s to just be yeah. so desperate for that moment that you like forge ahead with something, even if wrong. maybe in your heart yeah. of hearts, you know it's wrong. Yeah, the undercurrent of this movie is emotionally brutal. Yeah. And like yeah. it is very interesting to get to this point in the movie and then be like, oh, oh there's something this else is, happening. This is a movie that's not about someone bad coming home. This is a movie about like grief, pre grieving, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. About like how do you handle grief that you know is coming, right? Like that is a terrifying space to occupy for a rom com. <laughs> 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 yeah, and that is so fundamental to every familial dynamic that we see playing out with Meredith. Although, of course, that is not her fault, nor does she have any idea what's going on. But slowly, the Stone children are starting to pick up on the fact that their mom is sick again. It's clear that she has had a, a bout of cancer in the past. We later see that she has a mastectomy scar, and something is not right. So Kelly ends up telling his son Ben on the snowy bleachers where they're eating pot brownies together and Ben breaks down into tears. Susanna silently just goes up to join her mother on the bed where she's napping, which immediately reveals to Sybil that she knows something is wrong. And Ben then returns home and gives her such a long hug that Amy senses something is afoot yeah. and Sybil has to deflect her by being like, oh, Ben, you got so high at the bleachers with your father. <laughs> I, the, to bring a little levity here, I do think that the kind of proof that the women in this movie are much better actresses than the men is in that scene between mm-hmm. Ben and the dad, because as he's telling his son that like, his wife is going to die. That whole scene is shot from behind them where there's like no facial emotion at all. And the whole time I was like, this is deranged. Like this is supposed to be the monumental moment of this movie. And these two men like are backlit and shot from behind because they clearly don't have the like chops to carry it. And like, that's kind of, I think that Sus- the Susanna scene where she, like, gets into the bed with her mom is so touching oh, and so mm-hmm. heart-wrenching because she's able to, like, physically embody a pregnancy that I don't think she had when they were shooting and, like, kind of move her body in this way that is, like, very gentle and gorgeous. It's like, you need that because these two men can't be shot face-on talking about this. It's such a weird <laughs> thing how Craig T. Nelson manages to just kind of, like, hold his spot. He's just yeah, in there in the movie. Like in that scene, yeah, he's talking about the the death of his wife of many years and the mother of his children. And yeah. it, I don't even remember how he looked or sounded. There's Barely no point because he was shot really from behind. <laughs> you also, didn't even, see it. even in the moments, <laughs> even in the moments where his face is showing, it does not change it, a whole lot. It doesn't strike you <laughs> in any meaningful way. And then there's this moment after Sybil ends the hug with Ben and says, oh, you 
must have gotten so yeah. high where he gives a look that looks sort of like his feelings are hurt. And I was like, I don't know if that's quite the vibe here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was like the only moment in the movie where I was like, why is that huh. the expression you're giving me right now? Maybe it's not Luke Wilson's fault, but I personally tend to feel like he's a little overrated. Sorry, Luke Wilson. I don't quite get it. Don't it's apologize not for me. to that man. You don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> so Meredith returns to the stone house to make peace by washing a coffee pot that Sybil did not want washed. She wanted it to be full of coffee and waiting for her. And to make strata for Christmas breakfast by putting a bunch of ingredients all over Sybil's beautiful neat desk. This is her peace offering. She makes strata with the, her family every year, and she wants to make it for Christmas breakfast. She's, like, showing Patrick how to whisk just as fast as your wrist can take it. Just fast, fast, fast. <laughs> and putting the strata together. It's like an egg dish with uh, soaked bread in it. And unfortunately, she makes a certain choice to include mushrooms <laughs> that reveals that she does not know Unlike everyone else in the house, she does not know that her own boyfriend is allergic to mushrooms. <laughs> this Again. is one of the few moments that I actually remembered from watching the movie many years ago. <laughs> her picking those mushrooms out <laughs> with her little fingers. And like her wide-eyed look when Patrick A is like, panic. isn't he allergic to mushrooms? And she's like, what? what? <laughs> My boyfriend allergic to mushrooms? Sarah Jessica Parker. Why hasn't he told her that? Facial expressions throughout this movie are so, so skilled. <laughs> and because the rest of her basically doesn't move, like, her face is doing all of the movement. I will say at my, like, Thanksgiving this year, one of my friends made a strata, like, for breakfast one of the days. Was it And delicious? I was like, I was like, oh, my God, just like the family stone. Turns out <laughs> it slaps. Like, I was oh, like, yeah. oh, this is Honestly, really good. It looks good. And great. And suddenly I was like, no wonder she makes this on Christmas every year and also sobbed when it fell on the floor. Yeah. Like, I also would have done this. Like, It's actually very similar to what my stepmom makes every year, which is like, ooh. yeah, like an egg casserole it's with nice. soaked bread inside. It's delicious. It's something beautiful and warm to look forward to every Christmas yeah. morning and <laughs> until you spill it all over yourself. <laughs> I do think it's nice that she tries something here, right? Like, she's not asking anyone questions. She's giving so little effort in general. But then here she says, like, I'm going to try and do something nice for everyone. Like, it's the first sign we see of her, like, making a true forward effort against them. Yeah. Which is nice. Even though she doesn't know her own damn boyfriend's allergic to mushrooms. I mean, again, I'm like, Everett, are you talking to her? Like, why Why hasn't this occurred there, to you to tell her? When you only no, eat every caviar does and not steak, you don't to know his about mushrooms. <laughs> he hates her. He doesn't talk to her. Uh -huh. It also seems to be an indication that they only... Yeah, like, go out for dinner, and yes. he just orders his own dish. He never has to be like, oh, like, when I come over for dinner, just FYI, I'm definitely allergic to mushrooms. They've never been in that situation. So it almost kind of marks them both as not knowing each other and also as living a lifestyle that is not, like, cozy and bohemian household like the Stones at all. <laughs> Everett and Thad then meet Julie at the bus, where Everett, for the first time in this movie, I think, regards a woman who is not blood-related to him with genuine warmth and affection. <laughs> it is... Absolutely. I I could not handle this moment. It's like Julie gets off the bus and Everett is immediately absolutely drooling over his girlfriend's sister. My yeah. like, fuck this Note guy. My notes here say this is actually a movie about the trauma of having a hot sister. And I would like to say, <laughs> a 
as someone with a hot sister, like this man needs to be murdered. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like there's there's no like your it doesn't matter how hot her sister is. Like your eyes need to be fucking glued to the sky above her. If they this have is to the be. moment like, where I don't. This yeah. is not recoverable. No, this <laughs> yeah. is the moment where I fully turned on Everett and I was like, I hate this man. He cannot be redeemed yeah. in my eyes. I want well, nothing but the worst for him. I mean, the thing is that <laughs> Meredith is also beautiful. It's just revealing of the fact that she is not the type of person that Everett actually likes. Like, he yes. just sees a different right. type of woman and he's like, that's the type of woman I can really get behind, as it were. <laughs> You're like, well, Everett, that's really on you. Yes, it that's is. And that's you. the point of the whole movie, right? Yes. That he doesn't know himself. He doesn't know what kind of woman he wants. And then he literally sees that kind of woman for a single second. And he's like, oh, my God. Whoops. And then he's like, I guess I'll marry her. Yeah. Yeah. And she immediately, <laughs> I have no in choice. <laughs> warm, relatable, free-spirited fashion, falls off the bus and hurts her knee. And I, at, <laughs> I had forgotten about like the manic pixie dream girl itis of like clumsy girls. Oh, like yes. I had forgotten that being clumsy was like a key part of being cute in the mid aughts until yeah, she fell off the bus. And then I was like, of course, of course she fell off the bus. So you can give a character, <laughs> you can give a woman a flaw without it making her less hot. Right. She's so hot. She just sometimes she trips. There's actually, I think, an episode of Scrubs where uh, there is a girlfriend um, of JD who is a parody of this. Like, she literally can't walk through a room without (laughs) collapsing, like, every piece of furniture (laughs) in her way. That's good. I like that. At home, the whole family fusses over Julie. They immediately like her and are drawn to her. She's like their kind of person. She would have and probably does Blonde. have an NPR tone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also it made me so sad this moment. Oh, that's even worse than Everett in a way to be yeah. to see them react like this. And of course, your takeaway would be they really don't like me. True. Because they it's don't. True. Because they don't. <laughs> no, Meredith don't is like actually her. reading all of this correctly at this point. They're like. They all love Julie because she tripped and it was adorable. And she wears her hair down and not in a tight bun. Well, there's yeah. also the direct contrast of Sarah Jessica Parker also was clumsy getting out of the car coming into the house. But it was because she was, like, wearing her inappropriate shoes. And so she so did that to herself. Was, she did it to herself. That just exactly. makes her look ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like, you shouldn't have worn those stilettos. No, Claire, You're trying too hard. She's not a completely ridiculous person. <laughs> <laughs> Not. (laughs) Julie and Meredith go into the bathroom so Meredith can treat her wounds in privacy. And Julie's like, why am I here? Like, you're cooking. Everything is fine now. Like, I don't get it. And Meredith pauses and says, well, they certainly like you, don't they? (sighs) It's like, I brought you in to be my My ally. Julie is not Meredith's ally at all. She does not, throughout the rest of this film basically do a single thing to try to help Meredith. (laughs) Yeah. I can't imagine why you would call your sister for support if this is the kind of person she is. Like, hot, fits in really well with the family, similar, like, interests, vibe, energy. And you think that's going to make you feel better about what's going on if you bring her (laughs) into the situation? It's also, like you have her calling her sister on the phone, right? Early in the movie and saying like, of course I'm being myself into the into <laughs> yeah. the phone as like an argument against her sister. And like, I 
I would call my sister in a situation like this and then we would go to Vegas. But I do think that like (laughs) your sister is supposed to show up and be like, fuck these people, right? Like she's supposed to get off the bus and be like, how dare you like make my, make me come out here because you're treating my sister poorly, right? Like the fact that she does not come in with guns out is just proof immediately that she's the wrong person to call. Right. She All she knows of, about this is that the family hates Meredith and is making her feel terrible. And she's coming in ready to be like, everything seems fine. And right. I like you them. They're they so like nice. Me. And they're so nice to me. I'm going to yeah. sit here at this family dinner and Yeah, do you nothing. should be showing up and being like, I hope that everyone here understands that the reason I'm here is because you're being mean to her. Yeah. Yeah. And I love my like, sister and she's amazing. And you shouldn't, you know, if, I feel like you're misunderstanding her. And also... In a normal situation, you're not trying to sleep with your sister's boyfriend. And therefore, it doesn't matter what this family thinks of you. Like, you have been called in as someone who their opinion of you does not matter. You could come in and light the Christmas tree on fire. That doesn't matter. Unfortunately, she instantly (laughs) fell in love with Everett. (laughs) What can she do? That's what happens when you trip and you gaze into the eyes. Of Dermot Mulroney one or any time. Okay. Who among us can't understand that? So I'm raising my hand. I don't understand. (laughs) I don't, to be clear, I don't understand either. As I said, I hate this man and want nothing but the worst for him. This kicks off an epically disastrous family dinner. I think the scene in this movie is most famous for. This is the most excruciating thing. This is the kind of scene that that comics today would be like, you can't make this kind of movie anymore because of cancel culture and wokeness. That is what this scene is like. But the thing is, like, you... the This scene is so fucking uncomfortable. Like, it is deeply uncomfortable. And it is also a conservative talking point that they have been using for 10 years. Like, it is more than 10 years. It is extremely likely that a woman like this would have ingrained that as a totally normal thing to say, which is like, I wouldn't want my child to be gay because it will make it harder for them. Like, that's a fucked up thing to say and you shouldn't say it. And like, she views it as this thing that is like, a totally normal and reasonable talking point because she doesn't interact with anyone who ever corrects her. And like, I, this scene is so uncomfortable and it also pisses me off so badly because people keep telling her to stop and she keeps just like digging a grave. It's like, it's like you need to stop, babe. She is so, (laughs) I think part of Meredith's great tragedy is that she doesn't want to be misunderstood. Yes. And she can't stop trying to be an advocate for herself, even when she should really shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. She's been told to. And this actually all starts with Julie asking Thad and Patrick in a very warm and nice way that they are totally fine with whether Thad's deafness was an obstacle to adoption and whether they have a preference about having a white or black child. She's like, I'm so I'm sorry if that's an appropriate task. And they're like, no, it's fine. It's, you know, we doesn't matter to us. We're just so excited about having this child. She smiles very warmly. She's kind of asking about these things that are mm-hmm. sort of very risky and potentially inappropriate to really ask about, especially in a setting where she doesn't really know these people at all. But it's like, oh, well, Julie does it in a way that's fine. But also doesn't bother them. The interesting dynamic here is that Julie asks that question and Meredith says, like, Julie. Julie. Like, she, like, rebukes her on it of, like, oh, you've stepped over a line. And then everyone is, like, no, that's okay. 
And then Meredith says something that is extremely over a line. And Julie says fucking nothing. I'm like, you need to pull your sister well, away Julie from this Julie says, table. Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Pick her up. I think what <laughs> you're <small>. noticing <laughs> is maybe a moment where Meredith is trying to figure out what's appropriate to talk about with this yes. family. And she's like, Julie, that was inappropriate. And then everyone's like, it's fine. And she's like, oh, okay. So it's fine. So now I'm going to say... Do that, homophobia. Uh, are you worried <laughs> that you're going to turn your baby gay by bringing them into the house? You like, know, the, isn't the that, gay thing? Oh, that's aren't you worried concerning. about that? Yikes. Yikes. I wanted to crawl out of my skin suit watching this. It is, it is so uncomfortable. And also, I was kind of thinking back to 2005 and realizing how much this strain of thought was in the mainstream in a way yes. that it is not today. And there was not, like, even among those, quote, good liberal people, there were people who would ape these kind of talking points and see that as like, well, I'm just trying to be generous. I want the best for for the children. So yes. why would I want them yeah. to be gay? I want the best for my child, for them to marry a son that hates, to marry a man who hates them. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. what are you talking about? Like, Straightness is good, I, Kelsey, okay? Yeah. It's very good. It always works out amazing, especially for yeah. straight women. So yeah. Kelly kind of shuts this down and says, we all believe in this house that being gay is from a genetic predisposition. And then they all sort of joke that Sybil also tried to make them gay. And she's like, no, no, I didn't try. But I did hope, I hoped all my boys would be gay so they'd never leave me. <laughs> That point, I was like, wait, what? Deranged. Deranged This is like the the soft liberal bigotry, right? Where she's like, I just think gay boys are better because, you know, they're just like your little pets. Yeah, it's misogyny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yikes. Yikes. And my daughter-in-law is, of course, my natural enemy who is stealing my straight sons from me. And I didn't want that to happen. (laughs) And Meredith is not shocked by that. She is shocked, of course, that Sybil would want a gay child because gay children are not normal and they will have a harder life. <sighs> and it's she so keeps bad. being like, for their sake, life is hard enough. You wouldn't want to make it more difficult for your child. Like, it's for the child. She's like, Patrick, you understand, right? And Patrick doesn't respond. He just tells Thad, who has not been able to follow this, I believe we have been hit twice. They yeah. are both very upset at this point. Understandably, because it's a very yes. fucked up thing to say. Meredith then knocks over her glass being like, I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant. And Everett says, why don't you try saying what it is you do mean? And she looks at him like, Everett, like you're supposed to be on my side. Kelly then says, that's enough. Meredith tries to defend herself again by saying any parent would want a normal child. And Sybil finally shouts, God damn you. And Kelly slams the table and says, enough again. Meredith flees in dismay. Julie tries to smooth things over. That's a generous but no one wants Claire. to hear it. She says she, she does. She's hard to under. She like half says, like, yeah, I know sentence. how she can come across. I mean, here's yeah. the thing at this point. You can't I wouldn't want to be her. at the table defending that. <laughs> no. She's like, I know how no. she comes across. But Sybil doesn't even engage with her. She just looks at that across the table. Oh. She throws a fork to get his attention. And then she says, I love you, and you're more normal than any asshole at this table. I love this moment. Oh, my God. See, Diane Keaton just moves me to tears. I'm like, the way that she delivers that is so real. And she's signing the I love you. And she says it slowly because she's starting to cry. And it's like... Also, I'm like, well, yeah, he does seem more normal than any of you. Than everyone else. 
table. <laughs> yeah. I I think that scene it like this is part of why when you're saying like, oh, comedians would be like, you can't do this scene today. Like I think part of why this scene works so well is because of the response at the table, right? Yeah. It is because mm-hmm. both parents let her cook for a second and then are like, you're doing active harm. Get the fuck away from my son, right? And then are, like, actively supportive of their son, right? Like, there's actually a lot of signaling there that I think is good parenting of, like, you are not going to sit at my table and say this about my son. Like, and and then I am immediately focused on him, right? Like, that is, I think, the right. Ignore her fucking sister. Yeah. Tell your son you love him. Like exactly. that is yeah. she's not as important this. right now. I think the only reason you maybe wouldn't make this now is just because it it seems like we've we're at a different point in cultural history where it seems just like yes. really obvious and sort of pedantic, maybe. And people are afraid of that now because we've been having these kind of discourses in art yeah. for decades. Um well, I think also what we see next is like people apologizing to her, which is right. not the correct <laughs> right. thing to yes. be doing that, that, here. That's like, what I was going to say. Nobody is needs that to apologize to this woman for I, saying homophobic shit. Exactly. Like, and no. I think that that's part of why this wouldn't be something you'd give to a character that you eventually yes. wanted people to, to have empathy yeah. for because it is like you, there's no defending this. It's gross. It's homophobic. It's harmful. And it's, just makes her really unsympathetic as a character to know that she holds yeah. these yeah. views. And the extent of her redemption arc on that is being like, I love the gays and it doesn't really do it for me. But yeah, <laughs> this is the moment where they all decide that they have gone too far, that they have been too mean to Meredith. She's fled the house in tears. She can't even navigate her car. I think it's out when she the crashes the car twice yeah. that they start to think, yeah. are we, did we, yeah. are we, are we too mean? And I'm like, no, this is one of the few moments when you were you did the right thing. harsh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's like, it's all the other times that you were crossing the line. This was all her. Yeah. So she is crashing the car repeatedly, trying to drive away. And they're all inside listening. And finally, Ben is like, I'm going to go check. Like, this, why does Everett I, not say my girlfriend literally crashed the car twice? Maybe I should see if she's injured counterpoint also her sister, fucking sister also is sister. there <laughs> both, both of them, both of them. tries to get up no like, i was screaming at both of if, them if my sister is crashing a car outside Repeatedly. after she said a bunch of homophobic <laughs> shit at the table and then her boyfriend's <laughs> brother is like i'm gonna go check it on her deranged. i'm gonna be like actually i'm gonna go out there you're gonna sit down and we won't be coming back have a good <laughs> christmas <laughs> goodbye like, none of us yeah. should ever speak to each other again right she'd this be is like we're done end. here we're actually <laughs> done this cannot come back from this and i need to make sure my sister isn't killing herself yeah (laughs) i feel like they should have somehow engineered a way for both julie and everett to be out of commission for this to make sense at all but instead they're both just sitting there julie sort of tries to get up and uh, i was like no no i got it julie barely tries to do anything anything yeah he finds her sobbing in the car her crush is there (laughs) (laughs) you good you good to go home by yourself okay Okay, great like call me later (laughs) bye Uh, Ben takes Meredith to go get blitzed at the local dive bar while Meredith moans that she does love the gays and she would have slept on the couch. She does, in fact, offer to Amy to sleep on it every other night, which is an incredibly meager offer. 
She's like, I try and I'm trying. And Ben is like, you need to stop trying so hard. You you have a freak flag. You just don't fly it. Insane. Insane line writing. <laughs> Awful. It's like, have you ever heard of a freak flag? You know what you got to do with that? Pull it out. Raise it up. Let it rip, baby. <laughs> At the bar, they run into Brad Stevenson, a local EMT. <laughs> Who Meredith recently overheard was the guy who, quote, popped Amy's cherry. Yes, she did hear this from Amy's mother, Sybil. And she gets the impression that Brad is still carrying a torch for Amy. So a few beers in, loosened up, happy, dancing to her song. Meredith is like, Brad, you should come over tomorrow on Christmas. And, you know, if you want to get Amy, you got to really put in some effort. After this, back in the car... Ben tells, wait, 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 I need, wait, we, we wait, need to wait. talk about <laughs> Emma and I have a question, <laughs> which is, does a cab include Brad Stevenson? Like, okay, so is he a okay. cop or is I'm he confused. an EMT? <laughs> I know he's an EMT, but he's wearing like a sheriff's badge. Do EMTs right. or is he a, a cop? Slash EMT, which would not be that wild in a small What town. is this man's yeah, maybe job? He's a cop slash EMT. <laughs> he's I thought wearing he was a, badge. a cop at first, and then I saw the EMT badge. Same. And I was like, oh, maybe I judged too quickly. Same. But I, that's what I, I was too. texting Kelsey, and I was like, I'm confused why this like big L liberal family is like so desperate to get their NPR tote bag wearing daughter married off to this like local I'm cop. Sorry. This is a different time. Liberals were not doing a cap. True, at it's this true. time. No, it's true. It's two thousand five. Cops were good then. So yeah. <laughs> ew, ew. <laughs> I do say like these people are Brad not like members of the DSA. <laughs> Brad is a loser. Is the bigger problem. I know. I can do better. Love Brad's character though, and I think he's good at it. Like I like he, this. He like is. he's just like there and small town yeah. boy who's like, oh my. I have no questions about the fact that this girl who I slept with in high school, her brother is here with his brother's girlfriend and, and they're she's both blitzed wasted. out of their mind <laughs> and she's inviting me for Christmas. All that seems normal no, to me. Like, Not yeah. a question she's in like the, the world. I have nowhere I else to be on Christmas morning in yeah, my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I just have to get a poinsettia. I'm sure that can be acquired and we'll be good. I yeah. also want to call out uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's incredible physical comedy when she starts like loosening up and dancing <laughs> in this bar with like the hip drum- bumps. Well, yeah with the little hip bumps and also she <laughs> ends the night by being like let's get a little pot and all I could think of when I heard that line is tonight's the night I got arrested for smoking a doobie <laughs> I was like this was the Carrie Bradshaw crossover that yes. we Uh, after all of this back in the car, she also is like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get a little pot? Like, does she know that Ben is a huge stoner? Unclear. Also, does she know that Brad is a cop? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Maybe just an EMT. After this, back in the car, Ben tells her finally about his dream, which is objectively creepy. (laughs) He says, you are shoveling snow. You and were you were a, a little, little girl. <laughs> you were a little girl in a flannel nightgown. No. And you were shoveling snow. And I was the snow. And you scooped me up with a big what? red shovel. This is a horror film. <laughs> I People don't have dreams like this. Like, Zero. This is so unbelievable to me. This is like, to me, high school flirting 101, where you're like, 
I had a dream about you. You are a hundred percent lying. And then, <laughs> and then they're like, what was your dream about? And you're like, oh, it was just a dream where we were going on a really nice walk. <laughs> and it's like, what? Like you were just making shit up to have a conversation. And like, that is so clearly what is happening here to me. You were shoveling snow and I was the snow. No, that's not how perspective in dreams work. <laughs> I don't know. It feels more like maybe he was like dropping acid or something. Like there is like a psychedelic <laughs> yes. aspect to the stream that I don't know. My dreams usually don't quite have. <laughs> I'm never like, oh my God, I'm snow and I'm everything the snow covers and everything the snow touches. That's I'm all the main me character. right now. <laughs> I'm being scooped up by a little girl with a big red shovel. And she's Beautiful. my brother's girlfriend. <laughs> so back at the house, Julian Everett, after dinner and, you know, a little time to chill out, are like, where did Ben take Meredith? They end up, quote, looking for her by having a leisurely walk through town while Julie shares her exciting travel stories as an arts grant reviewer. I wanted to die during this entire <laughs> scene. I was so mad. They're just blatantly hitting on each other. Mm-hmm. While they, they're like, is my girlfriend slash my sister alive? Who can say? But today seems like a really nice moment to just walk amongst the closed stores of this small town mm-hmm. discussing high art. Yeah, where are they going to find her? Like, hiding in a doorway? <laughs> like, where yeah. do they think she is? A couple, a couple things I also They managed here. not to check the bar. Like, probably the only place that's yeah, open they're like, in she town. she wouldn't be in a bar. She would definitely <laughs> be standing outside of this shop that's been closed since 6 p.m. Yes. Logic. Also, two tiny things I would like to pick at here. One, not what art grant reviewers do. That's they don't they just do. go to they islands. They look at their computers. They, they don't go to their islands <laughs> to, to fill holes in their hearts like this man no. yeah. who was given this piece of wood. Maybe in their free time, but yeah. not for work. And She's then like, too, I have an exciting exciting lifestyle yeah. as an arts grant like, reviewer. Jet like, setting around What, reading grants? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? The, se- the second thing is that I'm like, it is completely unbelievable to me that this family would not have Christmas Eve traditions. Like mandatory also Christmas true. Eve traditions. Like, it seems why like are why don't they? Maybe they just got obliterated by the huge Christmas Eve dinner blow up, and yeah. they've been excused from their usual. True, trip. everyone <laughs> needs to recover from the homophobia and the yes. car crash. Yeah, and then the, apparently Christmas Eve is their romantic time too, because all of the happy couples are connecting in quiet moments, including Julian Everett, who are enjoying their first date, looking for her sister. Yuck! And <laughs> Everett is like, "Wait, I'm remembering that before I met Meredith, I wanted to go on a pilgrimage to a Buddhist monastery, and then I saw her, and everything went fuzzy, and now I'm here. But <laughs> it seems like that's like who I really am. Maybe that's what really excites me." And he begins to admit to Julie that he doesn't necessarily feel like he chose the path he wanted, but the path everyone else thought that he should want. Also, this who is insane thought he should sh- want it? His whole yes. family thinks he shouldn't want this path. What is yes. what is his model for this? It doesn't make any sense. There are people like this, though, that they get a new partner and they're like, actually, their identity is my identity, too. that is who this man is like he's like oh i have a crush on julie and julie likes art and therefore i also like art and it's like he has always liked art kelsey (laughs) no he wanted to see the large buddha that one time he he wanted to and this shrew meredith 
stopped him by reading his report. Yeah, yeah. wanted to not badly enough to work Do all it. night. <laughs> like, I... Okay. <laughs> so... Something that came up, I believe, in the oral history was this idea that Everett was someone who, like, felt like he needed to, like, make something of himself. And that in Meredith, he saw someone who he aspired to be, like, in business. That she was so, like, focused and good at what she did. And so that was, like, the source of their Uh spark. It's still unclear why he, yeah, felt like he needed this path in life when his family is so, like, college town. Like, Like, yeah. Like, they clearly are the kind of people who'd be like, you should be a professor of comparative literature. Why are you in business? (laughs) Yes. They are repeatedly saying that directly to him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Why are you wearing this tie? Why do you look like this? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At the end of the search, he asked Julie to get coffee, and it's clear she wants to, but she understands it will be a betrayal of Meredith, and so she says goodnight. Also, it's 11 p.m., at least. Um, Like, well, it's clear that coffee means fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get coffee at 11 p.m. in this small town. Um, then Kelly knocks on her door and says he wants to apologize okay. to her and marry Wrong. Her. Wait, wait, Wrong. wait, 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 wait. I, ha- I also have to point out that she hears a knock on the door and Julie lights up like, my boyfriend has returned. <laughs> He like, came back for me. He's fighting for he, yes, me. Yes. But no, it's just like Kelly it. apologizing to her for getting upset at her sister's hom- homophobia. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Everything's Sorry, wrong. should have let you say that stuff. Everyone's doing the wrong thing. And Sybil also tries to apologize to Everett, but he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't believe that she feels bad. She shouldn't. <laughs> she shouldn't feel bad. That's just the thing. They All movie, they're doing horrible things to Meredith. That they should feel bad about. Right. And then they finally do one good thing. And they're like, oh well, my that's God, the Meredith, thing we, we shouldn't, shouldn't have do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing we shouldn't do is stop someone from shooting arrows at our son. Like, that's, <gasps> that's wrong. Yeah. And then it's the end of Christmas Eve night. Kelly and Sybil have an intimate moment in bed where he unbuttons her shirt and we see her. Button up. She's wearing a button up. In it's pajamas. Look, it's pajamas. <laughs> set. It's a matching pajamas. set. She's she a looks coastal great. grandma. <laughs> she looks great. <laughs> and she sort of admits it's not Meredith. She's like, I feel sorry for her. It's just that Everett's making a mistake and I won't be here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I'll be fine. And she's like, I'm scared. And he's like, let's hook up. All the happy couples are at peace, even John, who is on the phone. And then it's Christmas morning, and everything is in chaos once again. Sybil finally corners Everett to make up with him by telling him that she is sick. And she says, you can't make it better by getting married, but I do have the ring for you, so you can make your own decision. Owie. And he decides to have Julie try it on. Like, basically force her. He f- grabs her hand and forces and sh- the ring on her. It's so weird. And it gets weird. stuck on her finger. Great physical comedy. Incredible. Because <laughs> she starts whole to panic. Scene rules. <laughs> this, this scene is unbelievable. This, like, extended few scenes. Of, like, them trying to get use butter to get this oh. ring off of her finger while every single sibling is coming in going, what's going on? <laughs> is like... And then I love Julie, it. Julie is, like, panicking. And then they're like, why is she crying? And she's like, I'm not crying. <laughs> she's crying because that ring can never be hers. Uh, meanwhile, but- Meredith is waking up in Ben's grimy dorm-style den of a bedroom. This man has also got to be in his mid-30s. Yeah, so 100%. What is going on? And 
she's like, oh my God, we, I had sex with my boyfriend's brother. This is terrible. Kelly then bursts in on her while she's desperately trying to hide. And one, hide better. Two, <laughs> you are not a virgin. How do well, you it was not her like boyfriend's how, brother? No, I mean, how are you like not sure? Oh, I see. <laughs> like, I mean, I think if you're really truly black, she was out. blacked yeah. out. Yeah, I think she was blacked yeah. out. That's a yikes. That's more That's of a really yikes. I know. Though. I know. Like, I was yeah. like, oh my god, does she think he like did, did sexual, sexual assault? <laughs> yes. This is well, really she clearly dark. doesn't think of it that way. She's like, I got really drunk and I don't remember, but clearly I chose to yeah. sleep. Yes. That's, Yikes. It, that is what she thinks. Um, luckily, none of, <laughs> Raising that, red none of that actually <laughs> happened, luckily. Uh, but I do enjoy Sarah Jessica Parker closing her eyes as if, like, <laughs> when Kelly walks in, like, he won't see me if I just go, yeah. This is like a two-year-old's level it's of object perfect. permanence, roughly, when they, like, close their eyes and they're like, you can't see me. It's Where so am good. I? <laughs> like, I? My eyes are open. Uh, Meredith cleans up, goes downstairs, and finds Julie trying to get the ring off, and thus learns that Everett is planning to propose to her. She also reveals to Julie that she slept with Ben. And now it's time to open presents. And fortunately, Meredith is prepared. She has brought a suitcase full of identical gifts for each of the stones, a large framed photograph of a pregnant Sybil, Everyone gets very emotional, especially Amy, who is the fetus in the photo. And suddenly they're warming to Meredith, fueled by remorse and this thoughtful gift, which honestly struck me as like a little bit weird. But I I mean, I would probably like to have that gift, but I would also be like, you gave us all an identical photo in a suitcase. I think this is kind of a lovely gift. Like people don't. So does everyone else. I'm the only one who thinks it's a little weird. I'm just like, people don't get things framed. Like, mm. if someone gave me a framed photo, I would be like, oh, this is so nice. I never get anything framed. It's, <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's expensive. And it's also just a really beautiful photo. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's Diane Keaton. It's Diane Keaton. She's beautiful. Luminous. And they're starting to warm up to her, but it's too late. Everett, in the middle of the present oh, opening, I can't. tries to pull her aside to talk. <gasps> She's afraid he'll propose. to dump her. Yeah. Right. This is the thing. She assumes he's going to propose because, yeah, you would definitely use this moment to propose. Would you use it to break up with your girlfriend? Like no. thirty if, seconds if into present you're opening and the middle of the living room, a complete piece of shit. You would. <laughs> he's like, I have to do it now. Now that she gave yeah. this really but, nice gift, it's time to dump her in the corner of my family Christmas. But that's what's so funny about this interaction is she's like, "No, I won't marry you," and he's like, "I'm not proposing to you," and she's like, "My." is wearing your grandma's engagement ring. Like, why? He, he acts like she's crazy to yeah, assume he's, like, yeah, he's I, proposing to her. He's like, I oh, didn't ask. How dare you, you presume? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> like, the whole family just saw... Uh, yeah. We were just in the bathroom Everett's together. Everett's my enemy. <laughs> Everett is my enemy. So, the most humiliated she has now ever been. Meredith finally calls the whole family stone out for ostracizing and judging her. And she has a whole monologue. She's like, "This isn't this exactly the moment you've all been waiting for? You all hate me so much. Oh, I know what you see. Meredith, the, the spoiled, crazy, racist, bigot bitch from Bedford, right? That's what you all think. That's what you all see when you look at me. Not good enough for Everett. Not like all of you. She comes all the way up here to ruin our Christmas. <laughs> And then she sleeps with his brother. <laughs> and then I, this is the most incredible thing. Ben is like, wait, 
what? We, we didn't sleep together. And Meredith's <laughs> response is perfect. She just throws up her hands, starts crying and says, isn't there anyone who loves me? <laughs> I love that line so much. So good. That's such a revealing moment of Meredith yeah. in this moment where she's just like, I thought I did this horrible thing and it was but so humiliating, but at least someone liked me enough to do it with yeah. me. <laughs> at least someone thought I was hotter than Julie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then she f- runs out into the kitchen, tries to take both of the raw strata from the fridge at the same Wrong. time to bake it. Bad. No, you definitely Very don't do that. Bad. Sybil and Amy, who now feel bad that they've been bullying her, have pursued her into the kitchen to comfort her, and they end up crashing the door into her, covering her with raw egg and soaked bread. This is actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie, this actually. This is probably they, the best scene in the movie. Yes, they're trying to clean her up while, she, so while she unloads on them. I think we have a, a clip, actually. I'm just as good as any of you. You are better, probably. Man, <laughs> I'm the Everett. When I take when I take Everett, 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 come on. Hey, oh, oh, oh. Sorry, I don't know if we've met. I'm Brad. Julie. Somebody's gonna get hurt. What's so great about you guys? <laughs> Nothing. It's just, it's just that we're all we've got. We're not so great. And you, you're the worst. I'm the worst. <laughs> It's that is, of course, Amy slipping on spilled strata <laughs> and going flying. And then they all collapse, all three women. Yeah, covered in egg. And laughing. It's, it's incredible. I, What's I love, so great about you guys? <laughs> I love this moment where you you get to see the family stone having their redemption of having this moment where they're like, it's actually not that we're so great or that you're bad. It's just that we... Are trying to process something else by yeah. by ostracizing you. We're trying to like turn inward as a family unit right now, and instead we have to deal with someone who doesn't naturally fit into our family dynamic, and that is not what we want right now. I the scene where like the scene where the door opens and you see Diane Keaton and Rachel McAdams like trying so hard to hold back <laughs> hysterical laughter because Sarah Jessica Parker <laughs> is sobbing and covered in eggs is just like a perfect moment like it's like yeah because you realize that like this is the last straw right like the the strata is gonna send this woman to a mental institution like you have to recover her but also it's so funny (laughs) and then by the end they are all oscillating between tears and laughter and we this get that great that still. Them. Yeah, we get that yeah. amazing still that you see everywhere when people talk about this movie of the three of them kind of laughing with their heads like on each other's shoulders covered in egg. And apparently so they good. had to do this, shoot this scene so many times. And Sarah Jessica Parker was like, I loved this. I love physical comedy. We all actually fell every single time. Like we were committed. She's <laughs> like, I was happy to sit in my, in like, my egg strata shirt yeah. all day. 
One of the things that was so interesting about the oral history, too, was, yeah, they talk about how much they they enjoyed parts like that, but how hard it was to be mean to Sarah Jessica Parker because she's so lovely and they all loved her. And Sarah Jessica (laughs) Parker being like, yeah, it does get sort of uncomfortable to have these really good actors pretending that they hate you for many, many hours of filming. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's like, I uh, did actually feel isolated, which I wanted to, but it felt bad. Yeah, and then apparently like, there was a scene, I think the charade scene, where Rachel McAdams has to make that horrible, yeah. like, accusation. And she had to, like, psych herself up to it because she was so upset to be mean to Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> they were like, Rachel McAdams the was like, she Canadian. was shaking. <laughs> she's, she's very Canadian, was the comment. <laughs> and you would never guess, like, she sells it. These people are just incredibly gifted really actors. Skilled. It's controversial hot take, but it's true. <laughs> Amid the the chaos, Julie, of course, seeing the situation her sister is in, gets the ring off and runs away. <laughs> Once everything calms down, this is when the new couples really have a chance to reconnect. So Meredith and Everett have a brief conversation where it's clear that they're like, we don't hate each other, but this is kind of the end of the road. And then she's with Ben, who romantically tells Meredith to get out of her clothes. She smells a little bit like puke. She (laughs) smiles radiantly. She's finally loosened up enough to see this as the compliment that it truly is. They end up lying in bed, humming joy to the world. Everett is now dressed down in a hoodie and jacket. His true self. He's chasing Julie to her bus stop. Okay, I am disturbed (laughs) by the fact that, like, this has all just happened. And, like, the dad and Thad and Everett are like, we need to get in the car together to chase Julie at the bus no, stop. Everett has broken tot- up with his long-term girlfriend 30 whole seconds ago. This it's time. is totally relatable to me. If someone <laughs> in my family came to me and was like, listen, I had just broke up with my girlfriend. I need to go to the bus stop to try and woo her sister. I would be like, you know what? Let me drive you. Like, I want to <laughs> sit in the car and see this. Well, I and think you'd like, want to see it. But would you be like, this is the most. No. Everett finally knows who he is. Like, they seem no. to be like, <laughs> finally. I was like, it's Everett, go to therapy. Don't no. chase a, your ex-girlfriend's sister. There are other go women to in the ther- world. Yeah, there are other <laughs> women. Go to therapy, see some art. Like, you yeah. need a little more self-discovery. Meet some other arts grant reviewers. Like, she's just kind <laughs> yeah. of a type of woman that represents the life you he's want for yourself. He's known her for 12 hours. So but he's he, known her sister for months. <laughs> he begs her not to get on the bus, but she does get on the bus. And then she gets off. And then she's like, I just wanted to ask what you're doing for New Year's. I hate it. I hate she it. Gets back I on the hate bus. it. Her sister will have forgotten about him by New Year's, Emma. <laughs> it's the appropriate amount of time. That's Everyone like knows. five days. <laughs> After <laughs> five days, you are allowed to get with your siblings partner that's yeah it's it's respectful yeah (laughs) period of waiting (laughs) amy is making out with brad in the ambulance which he has used to fix everyone up from their various injuries from this this morning showdown they've had and Susanna's husband finally shows up on christmas night Welcome, John, I guess. Yeah. You're irrelevant, John. What are you doing here? I think of Susanna as a single mother at this point. Next year, the family arrives with two new additions, Thad and Susanna's baby boys. 
Amy has had a real glam up in a red turtleneck and has brushed her hair. And Ben also has had a glow up. He's wearing like a marled sweater instead of like a, <laughs> like ripped sweatpants and an, an old t-shirt. Oh, no, he 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 wasn't doing old t-shirt. He was doing the worst, which was like a light pink polo shirt, just oh, draped sloppily, yeah. oh. like layered sloppily over a white plain yeah. long sleeve tee. That was and, so bad. And then he Famously layered what people in f- Berkeley wear. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. For, yeah. Also <laughs> weird. But then he layered like a tweed filings basement oversized blazer over all of it. It's really bad. So I was He's happy. artsy. He's I, a film editor. I was just relieved to see that. Who lives that in Berkeley. He did something. He looked a little better. A well, that's later. Meredith's influence. They have all managed to come together and fuse into a pretty homogenous sort of stylistic. They are all stew. matching now. Before yes. they were like on opposite ends of the spectrum. I noticed Amy and Meredith specifically are basically in the same outfit, which is like yeah. loose colored slacks. They're just in different color slacks with a darker tone, but the same color sweater and both of them have their hair down with tasteful highlights <gasps> and a side part. They are dressed as mirrors of each other at the end. Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, Julie, and Meredith are all there. It's clear that everyone is happy and gets along. They light the tree. It's bittersweet because clearly Sybil has died in the intervening year. But the family is still strong as ever, which I think clearly was the anxiety underlying a lot of the hostility toward Mm -hmm. Meredith that their family was about to fall apart because their matriarch was was going to die. And they needed to keep that family culture strong. And here they are, sad, but still a family. And that's the family stone. I was crying at the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. I have to admit that at the end of this movie, I think that the heroes are Thad and Patrick in that <laughs> they seem to have really good boundaries where they're like, no, no, we sleep in the inn. Yes. Yeah. We I show up about on Christmas too. Eve and then we leave. <laughs> like, we will be here and then we will be gone. And I'm like, yeah. you know what? Good good for you. <laughs> One thing that I love, love about the Family Stone is that it only takes place over a couple of days right around Christmas because so yes. many bad Christmas movies are just like, and then it was December 17th and everyone showed up for five <laughs> weeks of Christmas revelry. And it's like, um, don't they have jobs? Um, so Claire, it's, it's a realistic obviously because they live in a town where there is a Christmas festival that everyone needs <laughs> several weeks to prepare for and also yeah. plan the Christmas wedding, okay? Yes, these are seasonal workers. It's true. Um, And yeah, I will say that Patrick has bad boundaries in the sense that everyone sort of treats him like a convenient prop and also cook. Like, it seems like he's just always doing chores and cooking for everyone. And I'm like, I feel like he could really recruit. Meredith can take over that role. She seems very comfortable cleaning things and cooking strata. So, wow. Patrick can take a break. I mean, if he wants to cook, I think that's that's lovely. But it just seemed very on the nose that the one person helping Sybil with mm-hmm. everything was Tad's black gay husband. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and he just takes it. He takes it and takes it. And then Amy uses him inappropriately to make a sort of racist point, And he takes it. You know, I 
Patrick was the person that I most came away from this movie really wanting to protect, honestly. Yeah, I was like, yeah. no one's but, worried enough about Patrick in this family. No, he's nice. That's what I mean about Thad and Patrick, is they're, like, truly catching strays in this movie in a way that they should not be, because they seem to just be, like, lovely to everyone and have a good sense of, like, we don't need to be here for six days and deal with all your bullshit. We will be staying far away from you. Goodbye. The minute that they were like, we stay at the inn, I was like, oh, these, yes. these are, yes. Yes. These people know how to live. They're doing their best. We're almost out of time, so we want to get into a very important component <gasps> of this episode. We're going to rate the family stone out of 10 mushroom stratas. <gasps> Terrifying. Kelsey? Oh, I have to go first. Um, oh, do you want us to go first? No, you I can go to. first. <laughs> I You're the well, expert here. This mm, is your idea. <laughs> I, technically, I was given a very short list. <laughs> I would give the family stone um, six out of ten mushroom stratas in that I find it very enjoyable and I do not think it's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually go a little higher. I enjoyed this so much more than I did many years ago when I first watched it. And... I think my perspective shifted on a little it, on it shifted a little bit with age. And while there are many flaws that we have definitely had a lot of fun with, the performances are so good and I think that it gets at some real resonant truths about family cultures and grief and uh business women and how uptight they are. So <laughs> ultimately, I feel like there's a lot to love here and I'm going to introduce it back into my rotation i wow. think after this so thank how you many, what's your rating how many stratas seven wow. did i not say that oh, you didn't you didn't say i think i'm gonna go seven <laughs> i'm also gonna go seven <gasps> stratas i there are there are as claire said there are a lot of things to love about this movie i feel like the powerful powerful trio of diane keaton yeah. rachel mcadams and sarah jessica parker alone bumps this movie up for me. They're both, they, all three of them embody their characters so completely. They are very prickly, uncomfortable, imperfect people. And I love to see the challenge of actors making those kind of people mm. still feel fully lived in and have points where you feel empathy for them. And I just, for that and for you know, Diane Keaton really doing crunchy coastal grandma before it was a trend on TikTok. And boho maximalism. Mm, yeah, she's doing yes. it all. She's doing so much. Oh, I think big part of my rating, honestly, is just that I wanted to be in that house. Same. Like, oh, the, no, it's so beautiful. There's just, it's beautiful. The it's snow, cozy. It's, it's seasonal. Oh, it's east, no one's ever it's on east a smartphone. Coast, like, it's just, I want to have it's a what I thought adulthood would be kitchen. like when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I miss that. I miss that whole We're vibe. We're just nostalgic for 2005. Um, <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> not really. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Always a joy to be welcomed back. We'll do it again sometime whenever you'll agree to do it. Because we always love having and you. And we're... Where can the people find you and all of your work? Um, I'm unfortunately on every single social media at at McKinney Kelsey and Normal Gossip. You can listen to wherever you listen to this. 
And on that note, that is it for this episode of Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our wonderful guest, Kelsey McKinney. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Talon Stradley. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Matarana is our executive producer. If you like our show, please remember to follow us, rate us five stars, leave a review, and of course, spread the word about Love to See It to all of your friends. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at clareandemmapod at gmail.com. You can also find us on TikTok at Love to See It Pod and Instagram at clareandemmapod. And you can find our newsletter, Rich Text, on Substack at clareandemma.substack.com. I'm also on social media at Emma Lady Rose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. We'll be back soon. Stitcher. You're probably already familiar with Vogue. You know, the publication that has given audiences an exclusive inside look at fashion and cultural moments for more than 100 years. You can expect no less from Vogue's podcast, The Run-Through with Vogue. Meet the influential people behind the scenes of fashion's greatest moments, from designers and creative directors to Vogue editors and the woman behind the infamous Vogue closet. Get inspired while listening to the creative processes of people like author Zadie Smith, fashion designer Tori Birch, and uh, recent star of the Super Bowl, Usher. Go beyond the pages of Vogue with The Run-Through, available wherever you get your podcasts.